Hello, Kreuzernold, the second episode of the Welsh Referees Podcast, aka Pod de Varnwyr Cymru. In this episode, we have a very special guest. Myself and John Bryant are joined by former Cymru Leagues player, current Traharis Athletic Manager and brand new referee, Nana Bar. That's all one person. He's, he's done all of that. We'll start off with a quick chat about World Cup qualification, because why not, before going on to discuss Nana learning English from cartoons, moving to Wales for the nightlife, and his career journey right up to grabbing the whistle and discovering a new passion. There's another quick-fire question round at the end too, where Nana will have to answer the ultimate question, Porthcool or Barry Island? So, without any further ado, over to me, Jack. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Welsh Referees Podcast, aka Pod Devanwyr Cymru. I'm here with uh, my co-host for tonight, John Bryant, and with a very special guest, the uh, current Traharis Athletic Western Manager, Nana Barr, and more importantly for our purposes, um, a new referee uh, only just started last year. So we're going to go through and, and discuss with uh, Nana about his entire sort of life story. Um, and, and go on to, to talk a bit about his, his situation as a referee as well. Um, first of all, I just want to say welcome. So welcome, Nana. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. We appreciate it. Great. And John, do you want to chime in with a note for the <laughs> for the listeners? Just so they know what you sound like. Yes, I think you heard me last week. So uh, I'm going to assist Jack on, uh, on the next couple of podcasts. And then uh, hopefully you can have another co-host who's uh, a bit better looking and a bit more glamorous. I got the face for radio and it's a podcast so don't worry John right <laughs> um, so yeah just uh, just to start off obviously on uh, Sunday Sunday night we all saw Wales qualify for the World Cup and um, I don't know Nanda did you watch the game how did you find well, it I, I was actually there um, yeah although I genuinely usually support Ghana or England because that's my roots um, obviously England where I grew up um, I'm heavily invested in Wales so I was quite excited to go. I was right behind the goal. And I thought, oh, Gareth had a free kick. I thought, right, I'm going to film it. Because believe it or not, the last time um, with the free kick, I was right behind the goals again. And we worked with a load of uh, some kids. because uh, I, I was working with high elite juniors. And um, one of the boys wanted to go for, to the toilet. And that's why I literally turned my back, took him to the toilet. Um, you know, Gareth Bell scored that wonderful oh. goal. So... <laughs> This time I said, like, right, I'm not going anywhere. I said to the kids, I'm not going to the toilet. So I was right behind that. And um, what an atmosphere. It was, it was unreal. Um, I've never, I've been to lots of stadiums. I've been to lots of games. And it was just unbelievable in there. The way people were, the friendliness, the way people were to the Ukrainian fans was unbelievable. They were brilliant as well. But what a game. What an absolutely fantastic game. Yeah, I was sitting across from the uh, Ukrainian fans and just the way they were jumping up, the jumping up and down in unison and stuff. I was like, I was like, this is a bit like, <laughs> I, I thought like we need to raise our game here because they 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 really brought their A game and it was it was a special atmosphere. Like you don't often see, you know, the Wales fans applauding, you know, the the other team's anthem and, um, you know, at the end when everyone saw the Ukrainian fans started doing that sort of Viking clap together and all the Wales fans yeah, kind of joined yeah. in and and you know. It was great yeah yeah so um obviously a special thing for welsh football and now we can all look forward to uh qatar in 2022 either of you gonna stump up the money to go over to qatar what do you think 
Brian would probably be there, reckon, wouldn't you, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely won't be going as a spectator. I'd have to take out a second mortgage on my home, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite difficult to get, especially with um, lack of numbers of tickets. It's going to be quite difficult. Um, and it's not going to be, you know, a World Cup for the ordinary man, is it? It's going to be for those who are willing to max out their credit cards and spend absolutely everything to go out there. I've seen yeah. uh, I've seen one package deal. I think it was for one match. It was two grand. And wow. now it's it's nice if you've got that disposable cash, but uh, it's it's hard to justify that. And uh, I think I've seen a, a three game package for almost five grand. And whilst it is tempting, it's uh, it's a massive it's a massive cost just to uh, just to watch ninety minutes of football. But you know, I, I think a lot of the is... red wall, a lot of the red wall are gonna <laughs> gonna be fishing deep into their pockets. To get those, um... I, I'm similar to Nana though. Obviously, I grew up in England as well, so I've got a bit of a, a split loyalty as well. So uh, I'd rather the more passionate Welsh fans get the opportunity to go and watch their their country yeah. play than uh, than I get to. So yeah, to be yeah. fair, weirdly we're all on this call. I think myself and John were both born in England. <laughs> obviously, Nana <laughs> came from Ghana to England to Wales. Um, but you know, we were obviously supporting Wales, and you know, I'm half Welsh. I'm a Wales fan, so I count myself among the Red Bull. But I don't know. I think maybe now's the time to move on and talk to Nana about his base. His basically his whole story is uh, in football, his whole life. Um, so I don't know if you just want to start off with kind of your early days. So I, I know you um, were you were originally born in Ghana and grew up there for for the first yeah. was it nine years of your life and and then moved yeah. to England. So what was that like? Yeah. Um, it, it was different and difficult at the same time because um, you know in Ghana I was you know I lived in the affluent area. Um, we had farms, we had um, so much land. I remember the side, the side of our land, we had a football pitch. It was quite well kept by the, one of our gardeners that people used to rent because it was that good of a pitch. Um, so going from there to South London um, in April, which was quite cold for me. Such so that I think I, went, I was wearing like shorts and, um, and a jeans jacket. So it was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, although I could speak basic English. I couldn't really converse with the people around me. That was yeah. quite difficult. Um, but the positive part of it was that because my my mum and dad are quite strong-willed and the, the education was massive for them and it's important to always make sure you're ahead. So when I remember coming to England, for instance, the maths that they were doing and the English that they were doing were well below the standards you know that I was used to. Um, that's what I gave that was positive, but Obviously, when you are foreign in a new land, the biggest problem you have is a bit of bullying and, and judgment. And I, I suffered a lot of bullying, a bit of um, racism, not just from um, white white people, but from black people themselves, from Asian, only because I was African. And yeah. um, so I had to get taught. So that was quite difficult. Um, so I made it my will to make sure I could speak properly. So I used to watch a lot of cartoons, um, a lot of you know, I used to get home, put on, um, you know, Ed the Duck, just watch Ed the Duck, watch, you know, watch what they were saying, how they were, you know, the dialogues and that. Um, and bit by bit, I was picking up the words. And I think I was quite quick. By the time I was in secondary school, within the three years, I was speaking fluent English. Um, my accent probably disappeared in about year eight, year nine. And yeah. I became more of a Londoner, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember my parents used to, I used to go like, all right, Dad, can I have a bit of water, mate? He's like, excuse you, you speak properly. So um, I kind of learned to speak 
what we call the telephone voice and also uh, quite slang. Um, but yeah, so that was that was the early part in terms of education. Then obviously school football. Um, I didn't really play. I didn't really like football, believe it or not. Yeah. I was about 13, 14. And, really? Um, one of the, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. I was an athlete. I was a sprinter. Um, and, and the boys were like, look, why don't you come and try a bit of um, football? Because you're quick. I started in goal. And then they went, no, you're too quick for goalkeeper. Like, you're rubbish with your hands. Come out, come out field. And I played up front and I just ran. I had no touch, probably still don't. Um, and it was just one of those kick it as hard as you can. I'll chase onto it and just try to put my foot to it. Yeah. And then I think after scoring the first goal, that's when I started to have that love for it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it went on from there, really. So was it just that feeling of hitting the net just got you hooked on it? Yeah, well, I think it was more of, because I had such a difficult childhood in, in England, I think when I scored a goal, what I didn't know was that my school team were awful and they never they never won any games, they never used to score. But yeah. I scored the first goal in like the first in the first two years. So it was having all the players run to me, you know, yeah. you know, crowding me and you know, like going, yeah, cheering me and shouting my name, you know, after the match we won. And like people like didn't like me, all of a sudden were my best mates. And I think yeah. that 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 was the thing that got me loving football. I was like, oh what this is what football brings. Oh my God. I want more of it, you know. So um, it, it was the feeling from that that really got me involved in football itself. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I find that crazy though. It just uh, it just goes to show how narrow-minded people are that they only really stood up and took notice of you when when you were doing something to sort of help them and bring joy to their life, which obviously is a is obviously not a nice thing to experience, but. I dread to think what what sort of career path you may have gone down or or what may have happened if if you hadn't scored that goal and no. you know you, you didn't you didn't feel that sort of love from from everyone around you at that time because you, like obviously everything that you went through could have uh, could have got worse and obviously we got to look at the positives and uh, I'm glad you scored that goal. <laughs> no, because incidentally as well, my uncle was really really good mate with um, David Rowcastle. So we went to watch, I think it was 1993 or 94, the League Cup final. Um, I remember watching that and um, he was a massive Arsenal fan, hence why I'm an Arsenal fan now. Um, and he, he, used to, he used to love all the Arsenal players, he knew a lot of them and stuff, um, he was good mates. And that also kind of reinforced that love for the sport, you know, um, going to Highbury, watching games and, and just being blown out of my mind, seeing you know, 40,000 odd people just cheering. It was just unreal. And someone who didn't like football to see that, that kind of reinforced that love a little bit more. But it's, it's just things that happens in life, isn't it? You know, we all have paths that we follow through, you know, one little one little thing most of the time. So that ignites us, you know, and that's what I think happened with me and, 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 um, and football. And then when you obviously ended up moving to Wales and, and getting involved with football here, how did all of that sort of come about? Uh, so I was at Aldershot Town, um, and I was a young player in the first team. You know, didn't get much looking, but you know, I was in around the first team. Did really well the youth team. I was top goal scorer. We won like everything in the youth team. Um, and um, a friend of mine said um, they're going to go to university. And I know this sounds really, really stupid, but um, they they came to a night out. Uh, we came to a night out in um, Sun City in Wales and Cardiff and it was like one of the best nights ever 
believe it or not. They <laughs> 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 were going to uh, Cardiff for university, you know. Um, so that kind of um, that was the that was the you know the reason main reason why we came in. Obviously, when I when I came to uni, I met a guy called um, Norman Dawkins and a guy called Ryan May. Ryan May, I think, is working with Aston Villa at the moment, um, and he was the guy. He spotted me my first week, um, and he was like, "Right, you're going to do well in football." And he was kind of like, you know, the guy who really pushed me within um, Welsh football. So mm. the thing with Cardiff Met, where he was Hewitt back then, um, was was the start of my Welsh football. Um, so um, and then I think after the second year, I wasn't really getting a look in. Um, so a guy called um, Dave Pinchers from Grace Quinn's got hold of me. Um, they asked me to go down there and he said, oh, we pay you 30 quid a game as well. I went, what do you mean you pay? <laughs> he went, we'll pay you 30 quid. I went, well, at uni, you don't get anything. So no, no, I'll give you 30 quid a game. So um, I played with the Queens for a bit and it was probably one of the best times I've ever had. I made new friends. I got to know quite a lot of different people within um, Cardiff. Because obviously, it was Grangetown, different kind of people. It was quite... Uh, it was quite multicultural. That team, different people, different backgrounds, different cultures, and it was just it was just joy. I felt at home with them, um, and I think because I did well that year, Cardiff Met wanted me back. I went back there, did well again. But then I think the gaffer there didn't fancy me again, so I went to Brentirian. Well, it was Bridge End then. I went to Bridge End Town with Francis Ford, ex Cardiff City player, um, and that's where I think I learned my trade. He he gave me so many things to think about and he taught me how to hold the ball properly, how to curve my runs, how to pin the players. Um, and then it went on from there and then I became um, kind of like uh, a bounce from club to club, just, you know, just enjoying it. Because it was, I didn't bounce from club to club because I wasn't enjoying it, but I just liked a new challenge. I liked a new feeling. I like going to new teams with a new kit or a new tracksuit, you know. Yeah. It's just, it's just something different, you know. And and, in, and and I did, like, you know, I think I made a lot of friends because I went to so many clubs. You know, yeah. obviously, uh, John left me and there's also, you know, I've been on the side as well. So, you know, he's seen me on both sides, you know. And a lot of the people like Alex McKinney, for instance, like I remember him reffing against, you know, reffing when I was playing. And he was playing a bit as well. And then obviously as I became manager, he was working again. So um, it's just going through all these different clubs is what's given me, I think, the understanding of the Welsh league system and, and it's helped me to make quite a lot of, you know, different friends. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I should ask this, but I don't know, when you go to a new club, do you have to do some kind of initiation? Did you just love doing initiations or? <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> I had to wear, um, we had to dress as, um, how do I say it, as um, working girls in the night. (laughs) (laughs) We had to uh, go to the old Reds, I don't know if you remember Reds. Uh, Reds was on Churchill Way and it was like a university, it was was like the university club, every, every, you know, every university went there on a Wednesday night and they made us turn up an hour early, we had to walk around town as those working girls. So that was my first initiation. I think that's what got me to the love of it. I thought, right, this is what it's like. Come on. Tell us some more, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, just, I just like working with different people. Um, sometimes I'd have a call out with the, with the gaffer or just he didn't inspire me anymore or just because things change and my situation changed. 
Um, but I think I'm not going to lie. A lot of times it was, oh, we'll give you a bit more money here, a bit more money there. And in those days, you know, as a student or just starting out in my teaching career, 20 quid a week extra was a massive help, you know, and, and yeah, and that's how we kind of went for a bit. Great. What made you what made you cross the line then, Nana, from playing into coaching? Was it sort of your your legs sort of giving up on you, or was it just yeah. you felt the time was right? No, I, I didn't feel the time was right. I felt I was quite young. I was only twenty nine. Um, I was playing for Tom Pentra the year we went unbeaten, um, and um, towards the end, um, I think we finished that season. The second season, then um, I tore um, I tore my um, meniscus. Um, it was quite a bad tear. And recovery was quite long, and I had the op and, and everything. Um, and then I signed for Cumbrand Celtic, and I was literally strapping it up really badly. Um, I was taking loads of um, painkillers, and I was with a guy called Gareth Morgan. And, you know, I worked with him for that whole year. We did quite well. We enjoyed it. And then um, I had a phone call from Mike, uh, Mike Jones at Cairo. And he said, look, we've noticed that, obviously, you're stopping now. Um, we can't see you playing on. Would you be interested in coming down and having a meeting? I met him and Mark Reese. Um, we had a good chat, um, and then they offered me the job. And then I took um, my my teammate then Don Don Broad, who then became manager of Ponty Three. So the two of us went there as mates, and we just got a load of our mates in. And we said, right, who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? And you know, it was quite daunting because neither of us had ever managed a men's side. We managed that obviously. And kids and school teams and stuff, but never a men, never a men's side. So it was one of those where we just learned on the job. And fortunately, that year we got promoted, and that kind of gave me that bug, that feeling. And then it just went on that way. And then yeah, ten well, how many years now? Almost twelve years later, I'm still like, I'm still doing it, you know. So yeah. And obviously, at Kyrie Ely, you won, you won Division One, as it were, and you you had that famous open top bus uh, yeah. parade around Cardiff, as I remember <laughs> rightly. Yeah. Obviously, they were they were probably good times in your managerial career, Nana, were they? Oh, fantastic! I mean, because I remember um, I I told managers that I'd win the Welsh League in five years, and I remember them laughing at me. And I, I've even got a text, and it says <laughs> no chance. I remember that first year, I said, look, my my aim is to get Cairo promoted, and I went, you got no chance. And then I'll stay in the league. There went no chance. And I said, well, I think we'll do something here. And in the third year, it kind of came a bit too early, um, if that makes sense for me in my managerial career. I think winning that league three years in was just like, whoa, because there was nowhere else to go next. Because um, usually when you win the league, you get quite a lot of offers, but those didn't come on. They, they didn't come. So kind of, I've had to kind of like stay afloat for a bit, take a step back and then move forward. But those times of Cairo, uh, with Craig Sampson was was just unreal. Um, you know, we we won games that we didn't expect to win. Um, you know, we lost I think our, our first three out of four games in the, in the start of the season, and then we went the second part of the year from January to end of the season unbeaten. You know, and we had we had I think our budget was something like two hundred and thirty quid. And most of my players were on ten pound a win and five pound a draw. And, and and then you had clubs coming in offering them 150 pound a game, and where do you, you know? And that's when we started losing, and that's when it became quite difficult because yeah. we had players who nobody wanted. For instance, a kid, um, Lloyd Toggill. It's not a kid now; he's a grown man. But I remember um, getting phone calls, someone saying, "Look, I don't want him. You have him. You have him." You know, and he became one of the most important part of our team. 
and he was captain. You know, he led, he led the lot, he led the side. So I had a lot of players who nobody wanted, and it was just all about saying to them, "I want you. You got points to prove." So that was what we used in terms of our fire to battle against everyone. Um, but then once you lose that, you then got to change your game a little bit as a manager, um, which is what I've had to do quite a lot. You know, I've had to find myself quite a lot, go back down to a level. Obviously, with STM was unbelievable as well, going to the national finals. Um, but then that ended sourly with, you know, um, the team disbanding. So now with Triaris, you know, it's, it was a gamble. <laughs> you know, um, because I've never managed in the Valleys before. Um, and it was just an opportunity to try something different. Like I said to you at the beginning, I like different challenges. You know, I don't like to just stay stagnant and do the easy stuff. And I'll be honest, it's one of the best things I've ever done um, going to Triaris. The committee and the people there are just unreal. Really, really lovely people. And they make you want to stay. Um, hence why I'm still here. It's important to have good people around you, I think. And I naturally, whenever I think of Kyrie, Lee, I think of one person, and obviously that's Mike. And yeah. and I know how much of a great person he is. And uh, I think that's probably why you lasted at Kyrie Lee so long as well, because you've got great people behind you, which similar in refereeing. As long as you've got great people behind you, it it, it helps you perform at your best. Yeah, well, Mike Mike is known as my daddy too. You know, I do call him dad. You know, um, you know, and like my kids call him Uncle Mike. You know, and that's how close we were. We still are. I speak to him quite often and he's become a lifelong like father to me you know obviously my dad's still alive and stuff but he's the one I go to in in Wales you know I found his advice he's the person I speak to and you're right and that's why I stayed for so long the likes of Mike and that's why a lot of players stayed for so long as well and obviously um part of your coaching quite recently you made the decision to to do the become a ref course and and become a referee and that's Ultimately, we've got there in a roundabout way, but that's what we wanted to talk to you about as well. Um, so what was behind the decision, first of all? Did someone come to you and suggest it, or did you just think to yourself, you know what, I can improve my coaching if I if I try this out? Truthfully, um, and this is me being honest, and John will tell you, I give a, I used to give referees a lot of, I used to give them a hard time. Um, you know, I, I was quite intense because my will to win was always there, and I just wanted to win. Um, but I never ever stepped the mark, like swearing at the ref or anything like that. Um, it was always like trying to influence the ref through what I was shouting. And um, I saw the course online. It just popped up on my Twitter. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do that. Just so when they get it wrong, I'm going to say to them, right, listen, this law, that law, that law. <laughs> um, so the, the initial intention was not to actually go in there to be a referee. So then I was doing the call and I was like, right, okay. These little things, I didn't have a clue. So then I, I went to obviously USW. When I went to USW, we had the practicals there um, and we went through a few things. And then um, a friend of mine at school was like, look, I've got a kid's game. I haven't got a referee. Would you mind refing? It was an under 18s game. I was like, yeah, I don't mind, mate. So I turned up, ref, and I quite enjoyed it. I said, oh, that's not too bad. And then everything, all my official stuff came through. And then I had all this list of games on, on Comet. I was like, whoa, what's this? And, and I spoke to um, Tony. Tony, how do I get on a, how do I get on combination league? Um, and then I said, how, can, how do I get on the Lazarus league? I got onto all these groups and all these leagues. And I ref one game here, one game there. And do you know what? I'm not going to lie. I do prefer it more than management. Because 
It's I do. I, I genuinely do because it's it is, and I've told my players, I've told everyone knows that it's less hassle, and, and it's you. It's just you and you trying to get the decisions right. You trying to make sure that everyone's safe. You trying to make sure that you are portraying what you would like if if uh, if, if you were the manager on the side, you know, and and things like that. So I, I genuinely, I, I'm not gonna lie, I love it. I, I love refereeing. And I'm always keen. I'm always like messaging the people who run the leagues. You know, can I have this one? Can I have this one? Like I did um, Lanswick versus Dennis um, in the reserve league, and I absolutely loved it. You know, and and it's little things like that. So yeah, and that's me being honest. I don't that, care. That, honest, <laughs> honestly, that's like that's incredible to hear. Because well, go back from when I was refereeing in the Welsh League, Nana, and you were on the side, like you say. I think I, I was explaining to Jack before before you came on that referees of all levels you, you tend to get on with some managers and you and you don't get on with other managers but it differs from referee to referee and I think you you were probably one of maybe only several that I did actually get on with and I would never take me back all those years 10 years ago and I'd <laughs> never have said that you would have preferred referee into coaching ever oh, honestly, <laughs> I, I genuinely do it's just it's just completely different you know um, and it's just it's a different world you know um, if- if I was to take you back then, if I was to take you back, obviously knowing what you know now, back all those years, do you think you would have changed your approach as a player, maybe as a, as a coach, maybe, uh, and sort of just just change your, I don't know, the way you approach games from a from a management point of view, or do you think that you would have sort of carried on the same sort of ways that you did? Oh, definitely not, absolutely not. Um, I mean, as a player, I think as a player, I was quite respectful to referees, but it's when I turned to the sideline, it, it, it kind of changed. Um, as the pressure increased. So in my first year, I was quite calm and didn't really shout much. Second year, it was pressure. Third year, the year we won it, I think I was very like intense. I think as the year's gone on and the success wasn't as high, you start to take your frustrations out a little bit more. So um, I, I would have completely changed. So if I did, if I could go back in time, I'd probably be a lot calmer a lot more respectful to the referees. And I, and I feel I am doing that a lot more now. Yes, I'm still questioning decisions if I feel they are bad decisions, but the way I question is completely different. Rather than screaming at the ref, I wait for them to get closer and try and have a word. But don't get me wrong, I'm not going to lie, sometimes I still have done that, you know, where I've gone, what is that? You know, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, and that's me being truthful. It's not going to change me overnight, but I think gradually it will change my behaviour which I think is the main thing. Do you know, it's so pleasing to hear how, how much you've, you love refereeing. And I wish that there'd be so many others like you that, that yeah. would also take it up, even just just to appreciate, not necessarily take it seriously. And I, I know you mentioned a couple of names in, in your Kyrie Ely team who, who I, personally, I think they benefit from it. Yeah, no, no, I just want to cover, obviously, we talked about kind of like your the first kind of games you did and stuff, but in terms of kind of, any sort and the challenges as well but in terms of like any sort of standout moments I know it's, you haven't been refereeing too long but anything that really sticks out as a you know a great game or you know a situation that just um I think I don't think there's been one which has stood out I mean I did the line um when it was Tiger Bay versus um today's cons I think it was recently I did the line um and that was interesting because um, I had a lot of people behind me Shouting was a cup final, you know, shouting and and I, I learned to just shut off um, because a couple of about a 
three or four weeks before that, I did the line for um, the Lazarou Cup final. Um, and, and that was different, you know, because for the first time I've had like quite a few people, you know, not shout abuse, but try to influence my decisions. So then going to the second game of Tiger Bay, which was a brilliant game as well, um, kind of gave me the experiences to make the right choices, if that makes sense. Um, where you ignore it, you, have, you learn to have a bit of fun with the crowd behind you. You know, they'll be saying, "Let Lino, what's that?" And I go, "Oh, leave me alone! You're bothering me today." And they will laugh, you know. And it's just, it's just having that um, kind of that being a people's per- person. And I think that's what I've learned more and more than anything in, in refereeing. You've got to be a people's person. Um, I talk to the players. Sometimes a player falls. I mate, mate, oh, he's down. He's been shot. You know, just come on, mate. Up you get, and they laugh with you. You know, I don't. I try not to make the game about me. I want the game to flow. Mm. And so I'd say a lot of the, you know, like the I've done um, youth leagues. I've done obviously reserves, Lazarou, women's league. I've done cup finals, and all of them. I've just tried to enjoy as much as I could. And I don't think I've had a game where I thought, oh my god, I hate this game. I don't want to be there. Even the games are difficult. I quite enjoy. Because I know I've got to get it right. I know I've got to run 20 yards because the keeper's kicked it the wrong way. And I've got to sprint <laughs> 20, 30 yards the other way now <laughs> and chase the ball. And you're like, oh, my God, not this one. You know? and, and, and it happens, you know, just in the game. You expect to take a short corner and then boom. You know, it's a bad one. There's a counterattack and then you're off chasing, you know. And, and I quite enjoy it because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but there hasn't been any games which I'd say stood out that much apart from probably the last game I had, which was the Tiger Bay one, because it was the first, you know, um, you know, uh, grassroots cup final that I'd really, you know, been involved in. But it was really good because I had good people around me um, who were quite experienced, who gave me quite a lot of advice, which I'm always willing to um, take on. Great. And obviously in the future as well, um, obviously you mentioned how much you love refereeing. Do you have sort of, are you setting targets for yourself as a referee or is it, you know, just take as it comes? Um, I'm taking it as it comes, um, but I am constantly doing, obviously, the Sunday leagues. I, I think I do it every week. Since I, since I qualified, I've been doing it every single week. Um, I was doing the women's league as well every single week. God knows how many games I've chalked on already. I think I've probably done about... 20, 25 games already in, in six months um, because that's how keen I am to learn. I don't really turn games down. Um, I did a game in Son of Rebel um, and it's just compliments sometimes you get. You know, um, you're the best rest we've had this year so far or we like the way you're calling the, you know, the, the, the women's ladies rather than girls. And there's little things like that, but that's also part of my job as a teacher is learning how to use the correct terminology I mean, there for people and have to show respect and things like that. Um, but I do want to progress. I know the crossroad is coming soon where I've got to make a decision as to whether I want to push myself in the refereeing or to stick with, with management. And it's going to be a hard one, I'm not going to lie, because um, I am enjoying doing the refs. But at the moment, I am enjoying doing the midweek games and the Sunday games. And obviously, when it's combination leagues, which doesn't affect me, I can do those as well. Um, but obviously, I need to test myself a little bit more in the more difficult levels like Alliance and, you know, other other levels, really. So, yeah, watch this space, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that decision's going to come sooner or later, I hope. And uh, obviously, there's no, there's no sort of limit of your of your opportunities as well. I think uh, 
recently, I don't know if it's public knowledge yet, but but Matt Johnson, who's just been promoted to the Welsh Premier League, um, sort of 50s plus, I believe him to be. So age is, isn't isn't a factor anymore and uh i know you're, you're nowhere near that age yet nana but <laughs> <laughs> but but again you, you you don't have to make that decision just yet and what yeah. my only advice is just do both for as long as you're enjoying both do both for as long as you possibly can and that's that's one thing in refereeing we don't want to do and that's limit people to to their enjoyment with the game and we've got a lot of young referees who still play and and while sooner or later they have to make a decision we don't want to we don't want to force a decision on anyone and i think it's important that that you make the decision when when is right for you but touching upon sort of your the stuff that you've learned recently and uh in the recent games like you say in Tonarevel where where you get those nice comments what what do you think the biggest attribute of being a successful or a good referee is what would you say is the number one sort of key point? For me, be a evil person. Um, just be a nice person. Um, because if you're if you talk, if you talk to the team. Because I mean, I think Tonarevel had a player that I was told before the game, oh, you know, she's a nightmare, you know, be careful, she's not gonna kick off. And do you know what? I had a wicked laugh with her. She was brilliant, you know, like you know, she would make a tenant, I'd be like, cutting it fine, aren't you? And she'd be like, Oh, come on, ref, you know. And I said, look, look, if you have to do that, I'm happy to book you. And I'll be, I'll just say simple things like, if I've got a book, that's going to cost you a tenner. Like, you need that tenner for your drinks afterwards. You don't want to waste it on that. So <laughs> just have a thing. And just little things like that, you know. And I'm just trying to be normal because I think a lot of times I've seen some refs, and maybe it's just who they are, where they feel they have to be almost police, like a police officer, where there's no. There's no, um, you know, corners being cut. Everything has to be by the book. Um, and I think through experience, it tends to change, you know. But from my experience as playing, the kind of referees I like, like yourself, like Alex, you know, um, even Kev sometimes, you can do my head in, Kev Russell. Even people like him, you can talk to Kev, um, you know, and, and, it's, and Wayne and people like that. So there's a lot of refs that I'm trying to pick up some of their positive things that they do. You know, they're constantly talking to the players. And for me, it's that being a nice person who communicates quite well with the players there. You know, I, mean, I think I was told the first thing you should do is go into the away and home change room, introduce yourself, say, you know, just give a little briefing about what you like and what you don't like, and just say, really enjoy the game. As you're warming up, just walk past them, everything all right, is anything you lot need, if you let me know. Just little things like that so they feel familiar with you and, and, and they feel as if you're not there to just be on their case, but you're there to just manage the game for the two teams in effect you know so that's what I've tried to do most of the time and I think that's that's a really good point as well is because if you're if you're nice to them before the match those first couple of minutes where they're sort of sounding you out as a referee they may go in your favor and the rest of the match could could go quite well for you and I think that every referee is different like you say there are sort of robotic referees which is not a bad thing but but being approachable is is so important and and I teach my young referees to be exactly that you you have to be approachable you have to speak to people because that's one barrier that you can remove straight away within refereeing because I know from when I was playing that the minute you you come across a referee who you can't talk to it sort of gets your back up a bit because you want to engage you you're there to to have fun as a player you're there to have fun as a manager and and uh, you want to engage with people and, and referees of all different experiences and, and especially the likes of you, Nana, where players can, uh, sorry, players that uh, that you're refereeing can learn a lot from you as well. So like, it's nice, it's nice to be nice and it's nice to talk to people. And uh, 
I, n I never understand any referee that would would not take that approach to begin with. So it's, it's nice that you think that's a that's a key factor because that's how I how I think too. The ones we agree, huh? Eh? <laughs> 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 hey guys, um, just before we finish up, I don't know if you, Nana, you want to go through some quick fire questions. <laughs> John, John had similar ones last week, so. Um, but you could have got a head start if you listened to last week's podcast. Just, uh, just saying. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. So, um, first question, just whatever comes to your head. So, uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Lionel Richie, all night long. Oh wow, good, <laughs> smooth man. Right. You've called, uh, you've called Wales the Jamaica of Europe, but where is the Ghana of Europe in your opinion? Uh, oh, God, Ghana of Europe, probably Holland. Holland. <laughs> Can you explain, yeah. expand on that? Oh, they're so chilled. And so we, yeah. you know, just, yeah. just chilled there, you know, um, nice, nice vibes. Just, yeah, lovely place. Yeah, yeah, I'd say Holland. All right, great. Uh, fish and chips or pie and mash? Oh, definitely fish and chips. Barry Island or Porth Cool? Oh, poor call. Oh dear, no, that's not what you meant to say. <laughs> right, you've already mentioned Sun City, but is it pub or club? Pub. I'm too old now for clubs, not my age. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I want to hear what you think about half and half scarves. Horrific. Horrific. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, the cartoon that the cartoons that helped you learn English. What's your favourite cartoon? Oh, it has to be Thundercats. Thundercats, Thundercats nice. Yeah, was the one that, you know, every time I get like, oh, Thunder! You know, oh, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was my, yeah, my go-to. All right, and I have some football ones. Right, you've been a footballer, a manager, and a referee. We'll start with footballer. Who's your all-time favourite footballer, player? Ian Wright. Ian Wright. Oh, Ian Wright. I was obsessed with Ian Wright. I'm everything about Ian Wright. Yeah, Ian Wright. I'm still obsessed with Ian Wright and his, his outfits. Um, oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> I started my party once and I kind of bottled it. I didn't want to come near him. <laughs> I bet he would have opened that. He would have had that big sort of smile with a gold tooth in there. He would have been nice, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Right, all-time favourite manager? Is that as a... In what terms? A anyone, any, any manager that you've uh, loved. You can say yourself if you want. No, I, I'd probably say my all-time favourite manager is probably Francis Ford. All right. Yeah, he, he was, yeah, my all-time, without a doubt. He changed me, you know. Right, OK. Francis Ford. <laughs> all-time favourite referee? Ah, oh, Polina. No, Polina. Not John. I love John. <laughs> <laughs> I love John, but I just love, um, you know, Colina, the way he just used to stare at players. Eyes. Eyes. I, love I think to be a good ref, you need to almost have some sort of muscle in your eye to just pop oh, them out, 100%. pop them out at someone. Yeah, John, John and Alex McKinch are, uh, are, are my next two, though. Oh, stop. <laughs> I, <don't agree> <laughs> <on it. laughs> I don't know who my bottom one is, but I won't say his name. <laughs> <laughs> There's no beef on this podcast. It's a beef. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, I know. I won't say it. <laughs> he probably knows himself. <laughs> All right. Okay, Dana, thanks very much for your time. It's been a great episode, I think. And um, 
yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate no, thank it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great fun. Really good fun. Really good to see you, John, mate. Really good. Yeah, cheers, Nana. Thank you. Thank you, too, to John. All right. Thanks very much for listening. Well, wasn't that fun? Just before you go, a couple of quick adverts from me. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and sell you male grooming products, CBD gummies, or a weekly beer subscription. All I want to do is remind you to re-register on Comet for the upcoming season if you haven't already done so. It's only £20 until the 31st of July, so do get it done as soon as possible. If you're not a referee, but this podcast has helped inspire you to pick up the whistle, please go to becomeareff.wales or get in touch with me directly to get started. Right, that's your lot. Diolch Hoyo Vaur, Gwelachie, Kinbahir. Apa Super Wales. <laughs>